And I'm Lyle Southwell, and this is... Monglash. Who just made it just in time with the nose blue. Oh yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> I've been sitting here for a while, but... <laughs> flick that microphone on and straight into it. Of course, yep. this is Encounter with God, 20 million movement, 20 million people studying the same passage of the Bible right around the world. You get the opportunity of being able to be a part of that today. So get ready to dig your Bibles out and dig deep into your Bibles and to learn about a subject that Mon has none of. Oh, has none of? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Money? <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. You've actually, Mon actually has a lot of this. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm contradicting myself now. I was just giving money. you a hard time. <laughs> compassion. Oh, compa- what are you talking about? <laughs> Mon has no compassion. She has no heart. <laughs> she has ice again, in her Lyle. veins. You're talking about yourself again, Lyle. Probably. <laughs> Two of us Probably. are pretty bad. If we're going anything by that segment we did about sad music, <laughs> remember that. And people had to text us and tell us that sad music has a place. I know. Didn't we cop some flack over that? Because it's like, I don't believe in sad music. I never listen to sad music. Why would I listen to sad music? Did it makes you, me feel sad. I don't want to be sad. I want to be happy. Did you Did you feel a bit weird afterwards? Like, is there something wrong with me? Am I yeah. not normal? <laughs> I, felt, I felt, went home feeling broken. <laughs> yeah. It's like I am damaged goods. No I, no, I didn't go home what feeling happened? broken. But sometimes, and definitely in that situation, I was like, am I a psychopath? <laughs> uh, if you ask yourself whether, ask yourself the question whether you or not are you a psychopath, you just might be a psychopath. Because remember, remember when we first started doing Radio Lyle, and we and you did some sort of a segment, um, and it was about uh, occupations and careers, and it turned out that psychopaths are often found as pilots, a couple other things, and radio talk show presenters. Do you remember that? And both of us were like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doomed. I think, I think to, you know, well, you, you, you stop and think about a lot of your um, radio talk show presenters, they do rely on the shock factor. Yeah. And you've got to be a bit of a psycho to... And I think you do have to be a little bit unhinged to, to, to actually use your personal life for content, which we often do. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think maybe. there's a lot of people like, I'd never share that. They're crazy. Yeah, we talk about it. And I think yeah, it's like yeah, whatever's happening yeah. in our life is like, here it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway. Well, give us a call. Tell us what you think. Our radio host, all psychopaths, is Mon and Lyle, um, the psychopath team here on Faith FM. Oh, dear. Oh. You know, I think that compassion, though, is – I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Okay. And compassion is expressed by different kinds of people in different ways. I like to think I have a lot of compassion for animals. Yeah, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, particularly with some of the some of the big stories in the news. For instance, you've got the Sri Lankan family that have just been deported. Yeah, um, it's been all over the news. They've been here for seven years. Their children were born here. They are not refugees, um, and so they've been deported. Mm-hmm. Obviously, their town that they live in—they've become a part of the community there. Everybody knows them. Um, they've integrated well and so their town is up in arms and they're like, no, you're tearing our friends away. You're, you're sending our friends to the other side of the world. Uh, this, can't, this can't be. And so I've been thinking about, okay, you've got the two different sides of the story here. The one side of the story is they've got no legal right to stay here. Yeah. <coughs> and, uh, and that's the rule of law. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the other side of the story, which is these are our friends. We want to have compassion on them. And so I've been thinking about, you know, and, and what it comes down to, I think, is this. 
two different kinds of people, how they view the world. You have big picture people and you have detailed people. And I think your big picture people are the ones who say, no, we've got to have rule of law. They see the big picture. And in the big picture, if you don't have rule of law and you make exceptions all over the place, then why bother having law in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then you get your details people and they look at the individual. Mm -hmm. And they have compassion on the individual. And because they have compassion on the individual, it's like, well, bypass the rule of law. These are good people. Which one are you? In this in this instance, with this family that's on the news, which would you do? Um, I, you know, it's one of those situations where if I was friends with them, I think I'd be one way. Mm-hmm. And because I'm not friends with them and I don't know them, I'm definitely rule of law. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I tend more towards big picture because like, like you Justin said, if we're going to make exceptions for people, why bother Where with do you this stop? at all? Yeah. Does yeah. that mean anyone can just come as an illegal immigrant? As long as you stay here for long enough and make some friends, we'll like, we'll, oh, we'll let you in. But to be honest, like this whole like, oh, but they're our friends now. You can't like up and move them. But they up and left all their friends and came here. People up and leave their friends all the time. Just because they're moving to another country doesn't mean you can't still be friends. They left behind all their friends and family. They they can do it again. Yeah, that's no, a very it valid clearly point. Clearly didn't stop them coming here mm-hmm. to up and leave all their friends. How can they now claim that? Oh, but we're going to leave all our friends. Well, you left them the first time around, didn't you? Yeah, no, it's a very valid point. And as you say, how many times have you done it, Mon? Oh, I can't even remember. Like, <laughs> times, yeah. Move to another city, move to mm-hmm. another state, move to another country. And you face it as an adventure. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, Uh, and I think this is actually something that, you know, I was sort of examining myself on this and I think I'm definitely a big picture person Mm -hmm. in the stands that I take and the opinions that I have. I look at the big picture rather than the the individual. You know, I was just just thinking about, you know, some time ago we talked about um, um, pill testing. Oh, yeah. And the thought crossed my mind, if my children were the kind of, if my kids were the kind of kids that went to music festivals and were vulnerable to taking drugs, I'd probably be in favour of pill testing. Oh, yeah? Because I'd be scared for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. They'd take a bad pill and die. Exactly. But because I'm not, I look at the big picture and say, okay, in the small picture, pill testing is going to save, you know, 10, 15 lives a year. In the big picture, um, prohibition will save a hundred lives a year. Which is which is better? Which one are you going to choose? Well, pill testing act- actively encourages. Oh, don't drugs. even get me started on, on 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 pill testing. But you know, if you're going to look at pill testing versus prohibition, we know prohibition works. Yeah, yeah. We have you know a hundred years of um, research. Mm-hmm real-life research so that we know that prohibition works. We have no evidence that pill testing does. And from a big-picture perspective, you have to sit back and say, okay, this is going to be horrific because this person, this person, this person, this person is going to die. And from an emotional level, that's heart-rending. But if you if you then say, but okay, but then there's 100 people here that are going to live because of this, then... You know, which one do you go with? It's 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 a very, very, you know, vexed kind of a, a situation to be in. Well, let me vex you even more. Which one do you reckon God is? Big picture or minute details? God is very much big picture. God is totally 100% big picture. 
And that's why we have sin and pain and suffering in our world. Because if God was not big picture, he would have been stepping in all over the place through and, and not letting sin continue at all. Okay. Uh, but because God sees a big picture and he wants to guarantee that sin will never come back ever, ever, ever again, he's like, okay, we've got to have 6,000 years of this so that there is a sufficient demonstration of the evilness of sin so that no one will ever choose to do it again. Okay. Because God will never remove the power of choice because if he does, love ceases to exist. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think, and I think that's probably what um, frames a lot of, you know, my approach to things and my mindset is that as a Christian, serving a God who is a, definitely a big picture God, um, it, uh, it, it, it gives me a big picture perspective. It pushes me to, to take the big picture perspective. You know, it's the, it's the same with the abortion question. You know, you get people who, who come up and there's always the extreme example, you know, the, the woman who was raped or, you know, the really horrific circumstances and shouldn't she be allowed to have abortion? Um, and, of course, once you open that, you've opened a can of worms and we have, you know, what the situation we have now where abortion is incredibly common. Um, it's the leading cause of death in our world. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's just truly horrific. But if you look at the individual case, you can find justification for having compassion on a person and because you feel terrible for that person and every person who has an abortion pretty much has you know a story as to why they chose that and but if you don't look at the big picture and the big picture of course being you know the value of human life then you know we end up with the kind of situation that we have right now I'm interested, where human life becomes cheap and worthless I'm interested to know where you think God's mercy comes in is that big picture or is that minute detail you're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And I guess what I'm saying is that often we look at people who take a fairly hard line attitude towards certain events as being totally lacking in compassion, and that's not actually the case. No. They have a lot of compassion, they are just looking at it in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, you know, the Sri Lankan family is being sent home at the moment to make way for someone who is a genuine refugee. Yes, that's Who right. will genuinely be killed if they go back to their country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a family that um, has been through every, every court in the, in the, in the land and has, they're just not genuine refugees. They should have come here under a different kind of a uh, visa program or applied under a different kind of visa program other than genuine refugees because they seem to be very genuine people who are good contributors to society and the kind of people that we want in Australia. But when you come and you uh, claim you're a refugee and you're not, then it uh, it's not going to succeed. Yeah. Anyway, so what I'm saying here, I guess, is that uh, big picture or small picture, everybody has compassion but in different they express it in different ways and it just i guess it helps me to understand people who are different from myself bit of a philosophical study this morning philosophical Mm -hmm. self-reflection that i've been going through in the last month or so slash psychopathic we're not quite sure anyway (laughs) jesus did jesus have compassion Let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9 and verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And I have a question that I am going to ask you from this passage, Mon. 
and you can tell me whether it's a big picture, picture question or a small picture. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 and 36, please. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Okay. So Jesus, did Jesus have compassion? Yeah. Did he heal everyone? Uh, it says he healed every kind of disease and illness. Yeah. Well, no, he's, he does, he healed all kinds of disease and illness. He healed everyone. Okay. So, um, we have Jesus healing all these diseases in all these villages that he's passing through. But does he heal all the diseases that there are in the world? No. I think if he did, we wouldn't have disease right now, would we? We wouldn't have disease. Also... Let's think about this. Does he heal every disease that there is in each village? No. Because if he did, there'd be no such thing as death. There would be immortality. And so Jesus does a lot of healing here, but it's not universal, is it? No. Why did Jesus not make it universal? I guess that the point, it would have missed the point of the healing. The point of the healing was to point um, people to the Father. And if he just like does one big like sort of lottery sweep and everyone wins, like people wouldn't understand even why, or appreciate it, or appreciate it. And here's the here's a, here's a big picture perspective on this because I think that this passage actually because a lot of people read this passage and say, okay, Jesus healed the people that were in front of him that he could see that were ill, therefore that's a small picture, um, that small picture compassion. And I think that that is definitely an aspect of what's happening. But I'd say that there's a big picture compassion in that he didn't heal the entire planet. Because if he didn't heal the, heal the entire planet, then he would have immortalized sin. Mm. And he didn't obviously heal everyone in every village because pe- people still died. Uh, those people are not still living today. And so, yes, Jesus took compassion on people and he did what he could without destroying the process of the great controversy. Because if it had destroyed the process of the great controversy, if it had immortalized sin, then he would have immortalized pain, suffering, um, disease, you know, all of, all of the results of sin. The universe would never have really been able to understand what sin was, and therefore the danger would be that it would come back again. I think part of the, the process, the part of the learning process for us as humans is the consequences of our actions, yes. which might mean disease. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, interesting to uh, to look at it from that perspective. Let's, let's look at another one. Let's go over to uh, Matthew chapter 14. And we will start reading in... Ooh, let me just see here. Matthew 14. Let's start reading in verse 14. 14, 14 says, <clears throat> Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then continue on. That evening the disciples came to him and said... This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Ah, but Jesus said, they need not depart. You feed them. (laughs) How do you think? Okay, Mon, have you ever been in this kind of a situation um, where 
uh, you have suddenly been told, oh, there's a whole heap of people here, Mon. You feed them. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel at this particular point? I'd be like, You right. are a host. You are the per- kind of person who loves to feed people. I do, yes. Um, how would you feel if, um, let's say, uh, the whole of uh, Maitland Church turned up at your place uh, one next Saturday afternoon <laughs> after the service and uh, it's like, what are we going to do? And we're like, oh, Mon, you feed them. I'd be like, all right, folks, let me introduce you to fasting and prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Cup of water for everyone. <laughs> now, this was a remote place, so some of them would have had a long way to travel, possibly mm. um, you know, even a day's walk. And so they're going to be camping out and sleeping rough tonight. Uh, they've stayed there because they have been enjoying the teachings of Jesus. Do you think the disciples were feeling a little stressed at this point? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, verse 17. But we only have... Five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. Bring them here, Jesus said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. Looking up towards heaven, he blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples, who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up twelve bags of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So you're looking at a crowd of at least 15,000. It's huge. That's a big crowd. It's massive. Yeah. And when you look at a huge crowd like that and the number of people that were fed, you know, we talk about the feeding of the 5,000. It was actually the feeding of the 15,000, mm-hmm. uh, possibly more, and uh, all from you know the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish. Okay, so there's a number of lessons that we can learn out of this. Jesus had compassion on these people. He was concerned for their welfare. They were not starving. They would have made it home. Yeah. But Jesus had compassion on them, Mm -hmm. and he fed them. Did he lay out before them a lavish banquet? What did he feed them? Just just simple, simple fare, just bread and fish. Bread and fish, a very uh, plain, simple, easy to... uh, Easy to eat, easy to digest meal, uh, but one that provided for their needs. Mm. Does that sound to you like the prosperity gospel? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, so if the prosperity gospel was writing this particular gospel of Matthew, do you think that they would have changed it a little bit? And if so, what would they have changed it to? Jesus would have laid out like a 10-course feast with like golden tables and silverware and all kinds of Rappery and fanciful stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been like a uh, six-star restaurant That's experience. It, yeah. yeah. And this is not what Jesus Michelin stars on there. Jesus doesn't, isn't, isn't about making us wealthy. Jesus is about providing for our needs. Mm. It's a lesson that we need to learn. We need to understand it. And we need to put it into practice in our lives. Okay, let's go over to, to uh, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and we'll start reading in verse 41, please, Mon. Luke 19 and verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Wow. That's heavy. Knowing the future. 
mm. can be a terrible, terrible thing at times. And Jesus knew exactly what was coming to the city of Jerusalem. He could see it in prophetic vision. He knew that the Roman armies were going to come and they were going to do exactly what he said right here. Not one stone left standing on top of another on the temple. Um, men, women and children just slaughtered. This is Noel, uh, Nicole, I should say, Mullen with Redeemer. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star? Well, I know my Redeemer lives. I 
That was Nicole Mullen with Redeemer here on Faith FM. We were just reading from Luke chapter 19. We were talking about Jesus. We were talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. But before we get back to that, we're going to have another clue for our quiz because no one has got it yet. Our first clue I thought was fairly easy. The next two, not so easy. Um, I'm going to give you a list of people who lived in this city. So Philip the Evangelist lived in this city. His four daughters also lived in this city. And Cornelius lived in this city. They're all people who lived in this city. If you can tell me what city this is, give me a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. Today, you will win a triple pack. We've never given away three things at once. Today is the day. I've got, got an extra clue. No, no, no. Save it for later. No, I'm going to give it no, now. No, 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 no. Because we're running out of clues already. I've got heaps of extra clues for this Good. One. Save them. Save them. Save them. So, Cleopatra. No, 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 no. I said save them. We need a, them for next time. Had a son. Who was? Oh uh, no! Stop! That's really giving away. Stop! 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 <laughs> stop! 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 I know exactly where you're going with that. Don't you dare! Oh uh, dear. Okay. All right. <clears throat> she had a few children. She had. Don't make me mute you, Lyle. <laughs> More than one. She had like what three? My finger is hovering over the mute button. And uh, I, I think there was a few different. Well, there we go. We're patching mute, Lyle. So everyone, that's the end of. Did our producer just unmute you? How dare you? How dare you, producer Jazz? I'm going to have to send you away on a boat to ah, war here. Okay, all right, we'll move on. Okay, Luke chapter 19, we were reading about Jesus. We were reading about the destruction of Jerusalem. And Luke, uh, verse 41, 42, we find that Jesus was weeping. Do you find, you know, when I think about this, it's not often that you see men cry publicly. Yeah, especially over a city. For typically, we only see men cry publicly at a funeral, mm. and it's always very, very confronting. It's confronting. I, I can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle seeing men cry because I never see it. The only other time I've seen men cry publicly, I guess, is sometimes at church, sometimes during a sermon where they're just really affected. They're, you know, mm-hmm. by the message that they are presenting or the message that is being presented. And they're typically more the more emotional kind of man mm-hmm. um, and then on an odd occasion you'll find a man who will cry during a movie yeah yeah or tear up a little bit uh, during an emotional scene or when they're told they're about to become a grandfather for the first time I if why you, would I cry at that I'm gonna be so excited no because go on YouTube and just watch um, uh, baby announcements to granddads um, first time granddads and you'll see like daughters telling their dads that they're pregnant and they almost always cry it's so sweet they're like it's a happy cry it's a happy cry I don't get happy crying but anyway to me that's like weird but uh, that's because <laughs> well <laughs> you just... don't have a daughter so maybe it won't work for you anyway I will be super excited I will definitely be super excited when that day comes if the Lord cry. does not come first amen alright um but what does this tell us about Jesus? That he was... Con- a lot less cold than what I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, I, just that he had compassion and that he, you know, when the time came to cry, he cried. And that it was a very real thing that he was seeing. Mm. You know, as a, as a prophet, he actually knew exactly what was going to take place. And when you look at, you know, that beautiful city with all of those people in it, just enjoying themselves, enjoying life, having fun, kids running in the streets, playing, um, just having a great time and knowing that one day they would all just be slaughtered. 
you know, a really brutal, horrible death that they would die and that there was very little that he could do about it and that he was doing everything that he possibly could. You know, there's the parallel passage that goes along with this where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know. I, I think that's actually in Matthew. Let me just see if I can find that one real quick. Let me flick over to Matthew Ooh, uh, 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is verse 37. You that killed the prophets and stoned those which are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Mm. You know, there's a there's an incredible picture right there, and I remember hearing the story. It, it, I, I don't remember the details of it. I remember my father telling me this story. It sort of really stuck in my head. It may have happened to a friend of his. Um, I don't know. But um, bushfire came through and turned the property to ash. Um, of course, you know, they they were evacuated, all that kind of stuff. And... You know, after the fire had gone through, they've gone back and the house is burnt, burnt, the shed is burnt, everything's been burnt. And as you do, you know, as you're sort of wandering around, picking through the ash to see what's actually there, there's not going to be anything of any value. Um, the entire property was burnt and he passed through the remnants of the of the chicken, of the chicken yard, the chicken shed, the chicken coop, I should say, which had all burnt down. And, um, and there was the body of their household chicken, just burnt to death. And in just in deep sadness, you just sort of kicked the body of the chicken. And all little chicks came running out from underneath it. And what had happened as the fire had approached, rather than running or trying to fly away, she had known that she had baby chicks. And she um, clucked to them all. They all gathered around. She collected them all under her wings and lay down and gave her life for them. And every single one of them survived. And there's a really, really powerful picture that was painted in my mind, particularly in relationship to this, where Jesus is like, you know what? I give my life for you. Mm. I give my life for the city. I give my life for every single person here. That's if, you know, if only you would accept it. If only you would accept it, you know. And then you've got the women that were weeping for Jesus as he's being led away to be crucified. And he says, don't weep for me. Weep for your children. You have no idea what's coming on this city. And of course, Jesus knew what was coming on that city, but he also knew what was coming on the world. And yeah, just a really great word picture that we have right here of of Jesus' compassion and his attitude towards us. And it must be just so much harder for him because he has the power to stop it. But if he does, he's going to mess up the big picture. And if he messes up the big picture, then sin's going to come back again. And, you know, we're going to be back to square one. Let's go over to John chapter 11. We've got one more verse to look at here. John chapter 11. And Mon, if you can read for us verse 35. John chapter 11 and verse 35. Then Jesus wept. Oh, you've got a longer version of that. Yeah, Jesus wept is the short version. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the KJV version. The NLT is gone. You know what? We're going to lengthen this one. Not often that when you are doing a Bible study that you actually come across this verse as a referenced verse for everybody to read and study. Mm. Uh, the shortest verse in the Bible and um, and one that teaches an important lesson. Okay, background to this. Why was Jesus weeping? Um, 
is is this when um uh, just oh this is just before the raising of Lazarus. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but why would he weep at this particular point? I think wasn't it because people didn't understand? I think so. Hmm. I think there's a number of different things. I think that he was genuinely sad because the people around him were just so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you place yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes and uh, your brother's just died. You would be incredibly just you know, overcome by grief. Um, that would be something that you would be really struggling with. And I think Jesus was just genuinely affected by the sadness that was around him and seeing his close friends, Mary and Martha, you know, going through this really horrific experience and just deeply, deeply sad by, you know, what they'd gone through. And, you know, he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but it's still painful to see your friends go through pain and suffering and sadness. And the only way that the resurrection of Lazarus could have meaning is for Lazarus to die. And so once again, Jesus looks at the big picture versus the small picture. If he looked at the small picture, he would have said, okay, I'll go and heal Lazarus. But when he looks at the big picture, he's like, okay, if I allow Mary and Martha to go through this pain, um, you know, for this period of time of sickness and then four days of death and mourning, then I can accomplish so much more. And so by looking at the big picture... We might say that that's a lack of compassion, but it was actually tremendous compassion. Jesus weeps right here uh, because we serve a God who has unimaginable uh, levels of compassion. This is uh, Marion Blythe Peppers with Search For Me.
God can change my life. I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh, yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5 designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
Welcome back, guys. Welcome to Question of the Day time. And congratulations to Gary from South Australia who got the quiz correct, and it was Caesarea, the city <coughs> of Caesarea. You've been there? And, of course, Cleopatra had a son named Caesarian. Oh, she had a Caesarian to have a son named Caesar. No, he was, yeah, well, no, it wasn't, wasn't yeah, anyway. He wasn't named Caesar. He was named the Egyptian version of Caesar. He was named the Egyptian version That's of right. Caesar. That's right. Okay. The Egyptian it. transliteration. Transliteration. Lyle, you and can I think another son named Helios and a daughter. I can't remember. Helios is a nice name. I like that. Yeah. I mean, the son. Okay. You ready for this? Okay. Let's have it. What have you got for us? Okay. Q of the D. This one coming through to us from Beren. Yeah. On Facebook, I believe. Doesn't God intervene and intercede with us as individuals every day? Okay, now this is an interesting question. So we've been talking about you know the big picture and how God uh, does not interfere too much with the affairs of this world. Because if God interferes too much with everything that is happening here on this planet, and if God looked at it from a small picture and is like, okay, Lyle is going through pain right now, I'm going to alleviate his pain because I can't, I can't bear the fact that he's going through pain. And if God does that every single time that there is pain, then the world will never experience any, the universe will never see what sin is. And so they were like, well, let's let's go sin because we can't see that it's bad. How can it be bad? Because, you know, God stops everything that is bad. So, um, and so they will experiment with sin and sin will last in the universe forever. The only way that God can guarantee that sin will never come back is by allowing sin to continue its course and to play its, uh, play itself out on this earth so that there is a very clear object lesson. This is the result of sin. And sin is never going to ever happen again. God doesn't need to remove people's power of choice. Okay, so Baron is asking then, in the context of this, you know, doesn't God intercede for us every day? Doesn't he intervene in our lives all the time? Isn't this something that, that is constantly taking place? And doesn't that then nullify uh, this big picture of God standing back and letting sin follow its course? Okay, so there's two kinds of intercession that we need to look at that God performs here on this earth. First of all, we have intercession that we ask for. And so this is where we pray for somebody. They might be sick. They might be in pain. They might have left, lost a loved one. You know, whatever it might be. And this is very common. We will ask people to pray for this particular person. What does that prayer do? Does that prayer inform God? No, God already knows that that person is sick. Uh, does that God, does those, do those prayers nag God so that he's like, oh, you know what? Give up. I'll just heal this person because I'm sick of people asking me about it. No, God cannot be nagged. He is far above that. What does that prayer actually accomplish? Does it motivate God? Does he love that person more because people are praying for them? No, God can't love you more than he already loves you. He loves you beyond what you can imagine. Um, what, what that prayer accomplishes is simply this. God comes down to this earth. Satan says, no, you cannot intervene in this person's life because this planet is mine. I own this planet. I own this person right here. And God says, no, I am here by invitation. And the more people you have praying, um, the more of an argument that God has to be able to act by invitation. He is interfering by invitation, because these people have taken their request directly to God. And in doing so, it is not messing with God's plan of salvation. Moreover, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, and I think Baron might be referring to this passage here as well, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for. Well, we don't know what we need to be prayed for. 
what we need to pray for. Um, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which we cannot utter. In other words, God knows what our needs are. And when we surrender ourselves to God, when we become the children of God, it opens the opportunity for God to be able to intervene in our lives. Is God going to intervene in every single thing? Is he going to put a fence around us so that sin can never touch us? No, because once again, that would mess with the concept of the great controversy and it would you know, allow an environment in which sin could come back again. But it does mean when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, that when God wants to come down here and he wants to do something for us and Satan says, no, this is my planet, you can't do anything in that person's life, God can say, you know what? You might think this is your planet, but this is my person. And because they are my person, then I do have the right to intervene in their life. Uh, of course, you know, and God intervenes in the lives of others, you know, particularly when people pray for them. So there's a, a few thoughts on intercession and intervention by God. This is JJ Heller, Your Hands. I have unanswered prayers. I have trouble I wish wasn't there. And I have asked a thousand ways. You would take my pain away You would take my pain away I am trying to understand How to walk this weary land Make straight the paths that crooked lie Oh, Lord, before these feet of mine Oh, Lord, before these feet of mine When my world is shaking Heaven stands When my heart is breaking I never Shaky 
Welcome back, guys. That was JJ Heller with Your Hands. You're listening to Faith FM. We've come to the end of the show, and that means good news for you. You get to get a free gift. Yes, we're giving away a copy. It's kind of bad news as well. Why is it bad news? Breakfast show's over. Oh, uh, yeah. But something really good is coming up straight after us. Yes. They'll probably be thankful we're done. Lyle like, ah. <laughs> no. and Mona finished. Now we can listen to some real radio. The no. psychopaths are off air. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but hey, give those psychopaths a call right now. 1-800-FAITH-FM. First person through is going to snap up a copy of Christ Object Lessons by E.G. White. On the back of the book, it says, The stories of the master teacher, as recounted in this volume, draw practical down-to-earth lessons from the common scenes, objects, and incidents of life. These stories, <clears throat> excuse me, abound in helpful guidelines to positive thinking and buoyant living. In unnumbered printings in many languages, this volume has enriched the lives of millions. It is destined to lead its readers to deeper, more meaningful experiences in positive Christian living and draw you nearer to Christ, the source of light from above. Truly beautiful book. Um, it does exactly what it says. Christ Object Lessons basically goes over... Um, the parables that um, that Jesus taught, the, told, it is. the stories that he told. It is. There is a great source for Bible studies, for sermons, for, in fact, um, I've got a sermon coming up in two weeks' time, which I'm going to plagiarize as much as I can from one of the chapters of this book. Oh, yeah. nice. There you go. You heard all it from good, all yourself. Good, all good preachers plagiarize. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. That's the number to call. No, it's, it's that good of a resource. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is just amazing. Christ's Object Lessons by E.G. White. Call all us now. All of the parables. Yeah, we enjoy your company in the mornings. We, we, we kind of miss you when we finish up here and have to go our separate ways and go to our other jobs and all that kind of thing. Uh, but we do love just being able to share the morning with you here on The Breakfast Show. And we look forward to you joining us again tomorrow morning. Um, we're going to... Um, and don't forget, if you'd like to study the Bible, let us know and we can make that happen for you as well.
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Great. 